0: another episode of the lure entertainment podcast i'm andrew southwick on this episode joined by filmmaker and uh proprietor of halford entertainment cody halford cody thanks for making some time for us here today
1: oh my gosh i'm so excited to be here man i'm glad we finally got this together
0: yeah and those of you watching and listening you this has been an interview in the making and every time honestly it's been one of us got sick and couldn't do it (laughs) And schedule got in the way and couldn't yeah. do it. And then we got sick again and couldn't do it. And so this, I mean, if God didn't get us out of bed today, we wouldn't be talking. So Andrew um, has uh, been very patient with me.
1: Uh, <laughs> he's been extremely patient. And I'm sorry that I got sick so many times. I, I got to do something about that.
0: Dude, well, we, we were both sick the last time. So that's OK. True, man. True. But uh, yeah. we, we are healthy now and and uh, as close to 100 percent as we can be. So uh, glad to be here. And we're going to walk through a lot of cody's career in in film and production and the creative space we're going to see some trailers from the work he's done he's got uh he is of course the producer writer creator of the salter which is right now uh funding on lure i believe right and um and so we're going to look at the trailer for that we're going to see also uh we're actually going to walk through a short film of his called heartbeat which uh very important film we're going to do that kind of uh, audio commentary style so you're going to get to hear some behind the scenes stuff and and some memories that he has of that production that'll be later in the show we've also got some upcoming feature an upcoming feature called the sage which we'll talk about and he recently uh, had a short film doing very well in festivals award-winning in fact called uh nominee uh, let me um, now that i just had in my mind hidden in the wind there we go hidden in the wind right now um, and we're, so we're going to look at that. We'll see a trailer. We'll talk about that. So there's all kinds of stuff. And uh, before we get going, I want to remind you, you see it at the bottom of the screen. Subscribe today at LOR.TV, L-O-O-R.TV, lure.tv. You can subscribe today and fund episodes, shows, productions like The Salter, which uh, will be our uh, first topic of conversation. Uh Right away, though, Cody, give us a little bit of your background. What how did you get into filmmaking? And what what are some of the things that you have done in your career that has brought you to this point?
1: Yeah. So uh first off, thanks again for having me. Um, and uh I'm excited to be a part of lore. And, you know, I, I really believe in the mission of what these guys are doing here. And I'll never forget like my conversations with John Speed and Marcus Pittman, Jason Farley, like whenever I I was talking to them about filmmaking and just like, you know, my ideas and what I wanted to see come from, you know, just Christian creatives. It was just so refreshing to have them actually listen and hear me out as a creative and uh, to, to have their support, you know, for years now in my career and, and everything that i'm doing has just been like so pivotal so they, they, it's just an honor being a part of lore it's an honor being on this podcast right now um really really thankful that it exists but anyway um so i got into filmmaking i actually started out as an actor and i started out doing theater as a little kid and uh i was always interested in sports but I kept getting these weird exertional migraines. Uh, It's it's, it's, it was a really weird thing, but, uh, a side story, you know, but essentially I couldn't play sports for the longest time. And, uh, so my parents really were like, okay, well, he's interested in acting. Let's, uh, let's get him more into that. And eventually they signed me up for some film classes here in the Dallas area. And, uh, I just loved it. I loved telling stories through performances. I loved the entire process of filmmaking and, you know, everything that even went into, you know, that goes into the crew positions and all of it. Uh, so essentially though, like I was having problems getting work because I was always, I always looked to older than my age in middle school and high school. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, so I would always like go into these workshops and stuff uh, with these agents and, you know, casting directors or, or, you know, even doing auditions and mm-hmm. I would be like in middle school and they're like, yeah, so which college are you going to? And I'm like, <laughs> Oh, I'm, I'm in middle school. And they're like, what? And for those of you who don't have context on this, that's, uh, they always want you playing younger, you know, especially when you're, when you're, in, you know, they
0: being like casting directors, uh, yeah, the, the industry, uh, producers, in they, they, yeah, they want you to play younger than, than you are. So if you look older when you're younger, that's a little bit of a handicap, at least in terms of uh, Hollywood, right?
1: Exactly. So uh, I, I suppose like that's, they always want you to look younger. You know, I suppose that's the goal, but especially um, because like a lot of the times they're just hiring, people who might be college age and having them play high schoolers or having them play, you know, middle schoolers, because they already have their, their, you know, they're old enough to where they don't have to obey those labor laws with them. Um, So it's like, you know, CW, you'll have like a, a TV show with, you know, a bunch of high schoolers or something. And they're all people like in their thirties or whatever. I'm sure, <laughs> I'm sure most people well, know.
0: Yeah. Well, I mean, well, maybe I'm, I'm, well, whatever. I'll date myself. I don't care. Saved by the bell, man. Yep. Classic after school for well, Saturday morning, but, but eventually after school fair and yeah, they were all 30. But then mm-hmm. if you think about it, I was talking to my wife about this. Maybe the subtle exception might be the wonder years. Remember Kevin and Winnie, they kissed on the first date and they were like mm-hmm. legit 12 or 13. Yep. But honestly, You don't want to see 10 year olds and 13 year olds and 14 year olds making out in high school. I mean, that's ridiculous. Anyway, I digress. Continue.
1: So, yeah, I was already working an uphill battle there. Um, And so (laughs) essentially that that led me um, to start creating my own stuff. So that way I could build a demo reel. That way I could have something to showcase my acting talents with, you know, with my own films essentially. And so that's why, you know, that's why you'll see like, there's several stuff that like I'm, I'm starring in, you know, because I, I love the acting aspect of things as well. And I still do, but it really did. It created this gateway into a passion for, for filmmaking and actually creating the stories and, you know, from beginning to end. And um, honestly, building those skills has helped me get a lot of other work to just, you know, put food on the table over the years. Like I got, I never would have imagined myself like editing things and working on post production. It just wasn't originally my passion, but I was, I was good at it and I started getting work doing it. So, um, basically filmmaking and my passion for it and in my love for getting into telling all these stories really did start it, start with acting but um, it certainly has grown into like this robust love for just the entire process and outcome for movies in general.
0: Uh, did your did your own work that you were doing on your own was that the creation of Halford Entertainment and at the you know at its genesis and then you started doing post production and and getting yeah. work that way?
1: Yeah. So. Um, so essentially like I started I, you know you always start out doing short films and uh, I've, I've been doing short films over the years but like and so that's where like the creational hall for entertainment comes from right it's like just mm-hmm. yeah creating those own projects but it also helps me land like other like marketing work for instance and uh, you know, you know just bringing a creative filmmaking lens to like nonprofit videos like it's just it it created a lot of, uh, a lot of opportunity in different work areas coming, creating my own stuff essentially. Um, and, uh, so yeah, it, it, but eventually like, you know, those short films, like doing the work in the video production, like, you know, corporate nonprofit gigs, um, learning all that. I, I didn't go to school for this stuff either. I didn't go to school for film. um, I just learned and I just did it and just showed up to
0: tell us yeah. a little bit. How did you learn? Because now mm-hmm. like, you know, so I do a lot of post-production work as well under producing yeah. and editing. I do news shows and that kind of thing. I did go to school like kind of after the fact and got some training, but most of my training and that was done because I had to, I had something I had to get done and I had to figure out how to do it. Was that how you learned? And And what were some of the, oh, yeah. what, what maybe were a couple of your, early projects that you thought, Hey, this is actually something good.
1: Yeah. Uh, you tr- just trial and error, man. Like it was just <laughs> always trial and error, right? Like everybody knows it. Um, Cause you can, and I'm not saying school's not helpful because it is, but at the end of the day, if you're not getting in there and if you're not just starting it and if you're not doing it um, you know, like that's, that's the best way to learn is is to just get out there and start doing it. Uh, whatever your passion might be within the industry. Um, but yeah, so I think, I think the, like one of the first projects, um, that really, you know, I had some minor success and it, and I did it again. I did it. I filmed it. It was a short film that I filmed for a demo reel, like just so I could have something, you know, to show agents and casting directors and stuff and send to them was a a short film called little notes to heaven. And it actually got into some film festivals. And, I mean, we were filming this thing like, you know, it's not the best quality in the world. Like, the thing is on – it's like on a little T3i camera. I don't know if anybody <laughs> remembers those. But, um, you know, it's just not – it just wasn't the technical quality um, that other people were putting out. But it was such a moving story that it actually got into some of these festivals
0: and stuff. And yeah. I'm sorry, I don't mean to cut you off what, what, no, no, what, what, was little notes from heaven about? What's the, uh, the synopsis of the story.
1: So, um, essentially the short film is, uh, it's about, uh, this guy who starts courting this girl through giving her these little notes. Um, and in the short film, you know, he, he passes away and, uh, there's this, this like beautiful and moving scene there where she she returns one of the little notes, you know, and it's like her way of moving on basically. Mm -hmm. And it's like a real kind of like the aim was to make it sort of this like art house romance thing. Um, But the cool thing is that we actually my uh, we actually based my first feature film um, off of that short film in, you know, the because it, it just seemed to be I had created other short films but it seemed to be a story that sort of universally resonated with a lot of different people. And, uh, again, like I didn't, I didn't have it's, I didn't have funding for the feature film. Um, I didn't have, uh, you know, I, I, I didn't, I didn't have a full scope of what the process was going to be like actually making a feature film. I just knew from some of the corporate in short film work that I was doing, but we just went out and we started doing it. And, uh, and even that film ended up being so much more successful than I could have ever imagined it to be because we I mean, we're just like doing it for nothing. And, you know, we're, we're shooting it on the weekends because we got to work during the week and I got to figure out how I'm going to pay for the actors the next weekend, you know, by, by taking these other gigs and stuff. So, um, so yeah, it's just in, you know, if I, if I didn't ever take that step of just saying, okay, I'm going to do this, if I came up with, you know, reasons why it might not work, or, you know, I, I wouldn't have this project that I'm genuinely proud of. And, and I'm glad that's out there. And that's had the success that it's had. So j- just getting out and doing things in trial and error has been like, basically, the, you know, the total movement of my passions and of, my uh career thus far and i mean a lot of people are going to have that that similar story so yeah
0: well you've got i mean you, obviously you you have a long and storied list of projects you've worked on one of which let's talk about specifically is currently funding on lure that is the salter uh we've got the funding or the funding now trailer from lure so let's check that out and then you can tell us what the salter is all about yeah we'll do
2: Thou hast placed the sand for the bound of the sea by a perpetual decree. As the heart panteth after the water brooks, so panteth my soul after thee, O God. And he hath put a new song in my mouth, even praise unto our God. Many Which thou hast done If I would declare And speak of them They are more Than can be numbered
0: <laughs> That reminds me of uh, Sit Ubu Sit from CBS
1: Yeah <laughs> Yeah. Uh, the, by the way, the logo of Hallford Entertainment is my dog. And I plan to, Lord willing, someday release an animated feature that's an adventure film about this dog. It's. I digress. That's that's down the line. We got other projects we got to talk about
0: right now. So that's funny. So the Psalter, if I'm gathering this, you've got uh, narrated. Uh, basically adapting all 150 psalms. And mm-hmm. I, uh, back in my music days, songwriting days, I attempted to write 150 songs based on all the psalms. I stopped at number did three. Did you really? Yeah, I stopped at number three and then like skipped to 48 and then 53. And, you know, I did kind of that thing. <laughs> so I'm somewhere around like 10 or 11, but, you know, okay. I'll get there. That, that'd that be a good discipline to pick back up. But nonetheless, <laughs> Knowing what it would take to write a song about the psalms, you' you're you're making filmed production. Tell us how'd you get the idea and what what can people expect if they give their loot on lore to the Psalter?
1: Sure thing. Um, yeah, so the Psalter really began out of a question of like, why hasn't anybody done this yet? Um, <laughs> Like, why hasn't anybody created a, a series that is inspired by each chapter of the Psalms? Now, it could be because it is a daunting task of 150 <laughs> chapters. And, you know, like the obviously the topics within them are so in depth and so huge that, you know, that that could scare off people who are in their right mind. Um, but, you know, <laughs> me being, uh, you know, the creative that I am, I'm not always in my right mind about things. So, uh,
0: (laughs) yeah, well, you know, that's what a lot of people don't understand. A lot of creatives uh, like you and, and, and uh, many of us, we're not terribly risk averse and that can be, that can be both good and bad at the same time, you know?
1: (laughs) Yep. Exactly. Exactly. So sometimes you kind of get into things and you're like, this is going to be a great idea and you don't, and you don't think about like, Oh, 150. Uh, yeah. you know, that's a lot. Um, so it, you know, that's that's
0: like, that's like you bringing a show to one of the big networks and saying, and they want to buy, you know, the, the, the pilot season, the pilot episode, plus four, plus six, plus eight. And you're saying, well, let me sell you 150 episodes. So it's, you're already selling syndication because that happens at 100. Yep. That, I mean, that that's the kind of magnitude that you're talking about, but yeah, but you're doing it. Yeah. Why why is it worth it? And actually, before I ask that question, you're going through 150 Psalms. How Mm -hmm. do the narrations play out on screen? Yeah, sure.
1: Um, So uh, I fully expect, if if Lord willing, you know, this series continues, I I first off want to say that I fully expect that I would not live to see 150 episodes get made. And here's what I mean by that is that the idea for this series is that it would give opportunity, you know, down the road to other filmmakers and other creatives to use the inspiration of the Psalms to create their own storylines. And, um, so it's really, it's really an inspiration of like, I mean, obviously God owns the work of the Psalms and, you know, it, and that's, that's inspired scripture. And, you know, I want to give everything to the Lord, all my projects, but obviously, especially that I don't own that. Like that is not that that's his right. And uh, I, I just think it would be a cool legacy um, to have just people be able to step in and dig into those scriptures and, you know, get inspired to tell stories that are ins- that are inspired by God's art and by his songs. And, um, so that, there's that aspect of it. But, um, as far as the narration's concerned, um, I, I get really, do you know who, uh, who Terrence Malick is? Yes. Yeah. Okay. Okay, cool. Mm-hmm. So, um, so if you guys don't know who Terrence Malick is, he's, a he's a wonderful filmmaker. Um, he did like tree of life, and you know to the wonder uh several different different films and he's actually a filmmaker here in texas too that which is where i'm at is texas um but uh one of the aspects i like about terrence malick's movies is the narration and how it plays out so poetically and so uh and it's it's not just like a straightforward narration either like it creates sort of this like if the narrative of the movie that's happening is a horizontal line, mm-hmm. like the, the narration creates a vertical story within the, you know, the narrative, if that makes any sense. And so that, so I look at that type of format and I look at what could be with the Psalter and what could be with these Psalms and how, like, look, I'm not living in, you know, in Israel, right? Like, I'm not, I'm not in like, we're, we're the church, we're the new Testament, you know, thank, yeah. thank God for that. And, uh, but at the same time, we should be impacted just as much by the Psalms as we are any other part of scripture. Cause all, all scriptures equal is equal benefit for us. Yeah. Um, so what do those stories of the Psalms look like in people's lives here you know in modern time especially for the first season and like how do these how do these narratives impact like our day-to-day life in in what we're experiencing and what we're feeling in the, the psalms like the first episode of the psalter it does kind of fall in this line of like it's kind of dreamy you know and it's not just taking from the psalms in the first episode the first episode is actually taking from different parts of scripture, Mm. but it's just a show. It's just, it's a pilot. So it's to show people what this can look like. Right. And uh, so it is kind of dreamy and it's got kind of, you know, this, this like relaxing flow to it, but man, the Psalms, Mm. there is such a variety of just emotion and circumstance happening there. And uh, I want to, I think as artists we have a sort of unique opportunity with this series to explore all of that and sort of like a side mission of also exploring what all Christian artistry in in creation and filmmaking can be as well. Does all that Do you, make sense?
0: I think so. You one one of the concepts that came to my mind was it really sounds like you're describing like an anthology series that can yeah, be helped yeah. that can be helmed by different directors and writers. And much like you would see, I mean, I guess some of the famous ones, I mean, you know, Twilight Zone was an anthology mm-hmm. back in the day, but even, you know, the, what am I thinking of? Uh, Tales from the Dark Side is the other one I'm thinking of that, you know, and Tales yeah. from the Crypt was like that, but Dark Side was, I thought was cooler, mm-hmm. but um, so where you have different filmmakers and actually, so have you ever seen, Ah, uh, from the Earth to the Moon, which was produced by Tom Hanks. It was an HBO miniseries. It's all about the, the this NASA's original mission. I know what you're talking about that missions Mercury, Gemini, and Apollo. Mm-hmm. and but it was filmed like an anthology. You had different directors, different writers. And so they took those stories and it didn't necessarily follow linear in terms of the the events from episode to episode. Yeah. But it would kind of jump forward in time and do these different things. And each one came through the vision of that director. So they had a unique spin, some were more comedic, some were more dramatic, some more intense, all that kind of thing. And I'm picking that up from what you're saying in terms of the vision for the Psalter. Let me ask you this. Do you see the Psalter being as the narratives being dramatized or do you see it as more of a almost a, a, a real life documentary as to how concepts are playing out in real life, or can that be left up to whatever creative minds might be taking on that particular chapter?
1: Yeah. I, I think that there is a sort of openness to experimentation with that. Um, I think definitely dramatized is, is like my goal is somebody, you know, helming this first season but um, I definitely think that it's a series that has flexibility to it in that regard um, as to like what all it could look like. Um, just the only thing is that, you know, the only, um, let's say, you know, structure that's really required from it is that it is, has an inspired, you know, that it has a narrative from one of the chapters of the Psalms. But what that could look like in the future, I mean, there are just so many ideas of like, you know, where all that could end up. So, so
0: it could be it could be you could dramatize, for example, you know, a, a filmmaker could take or a director or screenwriter could take whatever Psalm 3, Psalm 4 mm-hmm. and look back at the history of that writing and do an episode on the literal historical history of Psalm 4 and bring that to the screen. Yep. At the same time, someone could take Psalm 139 and do a modern interpretation inspired by, so hitting themes and concepts, not necessarily historical retelling, but all, Mm -hmm. and then everything in between, as long as it's faithful to the what God laid out in the Psalms. Is that, is that fair?
1: Exactly. So Andrew, maybe you should come in and and direct one of the episodes for, (laughs) for the Psalter. Uh, I like those ideas. Those are really cool. Yeah. So um, yeah, as long as it's staying true, um, true to what, you know, the Lord is inspired in that. And, um, and again, like, I think especially in our modern culture, like we have a, and for lack of a better word, maybe you can help me come up with a better word. But the psalms get sort of daintified, like they're dainty, you know. Like okay. it, mm-hmm. they're at least,
0: you know. Well, they're they're, they're lyrical, so they can they can take on a softer tone, yeah. And maybe the the which can obfuscate the strength and the power that they have.
1: Exactly. So, um, so but they like they're so deep and they're so intense sometimes. And, um, you know, some of them, like some of them can get so just like watered down in our modern culture, you know, like even when people are creating songs from them and stuff and like, I want to explore the fact that there is just, there's just simply like this wide variety of things happening within the Psalms. And I mean, this is the same way with the entire Bible, right? Like, you know, there's so much happening there. There's so much that the, that the Lord has revealed to us through these things. And, um, and and again, it's just like that can take so many different directions in the future. Um, For this first season of the Psalter, you know, it it is an anthology series, but I do want to have a focus of uh, focusing on stories that, revolve around artists for this first season um and to me that that makes sense because uh the songs are songs and you, you know you're you're dealing with artists who the lord used to to write these uh these different chapters of this these different songs so um with it being an anthology series um my vision for this thing is that it also does have sort of like a running at least one running theme,
0: mm-hmm. um,
1: through each season. And this season, I think it would be really cool, especially like since it's on a platform like lore, which is so much about freeing the artist, and, you know, right. what, uh, what all can a, a Christian artist do when they're freed from this box that we've created for the Christian artists. And to me, like the Psalter is like, it, is going to, you know, Lord willing, be a direct reflection um, off of this type of thing. So uh, I think that the pilot episode, people will will have a pretty good idea of what all that can potentially look like. Um, And, you know, the the pilot episode is focusing on a on a singer and, you know, she's grieving and, you know, you, you don't see. You, you do, it's not that you don't see those stories at all within Christian media right now, but so much of it is so like hallmark happy, I guess. Yeah. Like it, it's hard to get a really authentic, you know, that's,
0: and that's something we, we brought up before on yeah. this podcast. And I know people talk about, it, I know that's one of the main criticisms of Christian media, Christian entertainment, but that and movies, television or music for that matter yeah. is that there seems to be this watered down approach to it. And 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 that takes away from the creative power and and really the emotional impact that it can have when compared to, you know, Hollywood or the uh, major music mainstream music industry and why that sound you know why Aerosmith rocks and why Christian rock can't you know like just why not right. you know but but I think that too obviously you know I mean you know how the sausage is made when it comes to filmmaking. Sometimes it's the studio influence and the suits and the execs because they're selling in Christian entertainment, they're really selling to a pastor mm-hmm. because they want that pastor to promote it to their church. And that's yeah. how they're going to get butts in seats and people to buy tickets. Well, that pat to sell to that pastor, the pastor's got to answer to every single congregation sect within the church. So it's got to hit this middle of the road thing. But in so doing, it it does. Lose its power, and, it, yeah. and all of a sudden, everything is happy. Everything always ends with a smile, and and I think that some of the reality of the of of a life and the reality of the Christian life, the reality of a life following Jesus, is going to show that 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 grief, the struggle, the sorrow. For crying out loud, seventy percent of the Psalms are laments. Mm-hmm. They're mostly sad anyway. Yep. So you know, you we, you can argue that David, who wrote most of them was a manic depressive, you know, and that, that, because he certainly had peaks and valleys and was very emotional in that way and impulsive. And you can read that through those Psalms. And I think we, for whatever reason, we don't think that's going to sell to the church, let alone to uh, the the masses. But I think that's exactly what both Christians and non-Christians like are clamoring for. Tell us, tell us straight. I can relate to that pain. And if you want to have that pain and point it to Christ in different ways, I, I'm, I'm here for that because mm-hmm. that's hopeful. But if yeah. you're going to tell me that I have to smile all the time because I'm not allowed to frown or I'm not allowed to be sad or I'm doing something wrong or I don't have enough faith if I feel that way, well then I'm probably not going to be there for that because that's not real life.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Funny, funny story going along with that is that uh, our first feature little notes to have in, um was the first uh, place we sold it was uh, it was pure Flix. And, um, and, you know, I'm, I'm grateful for that. Uh, it was, it definitely, you know, was a, it was a good learning experience, uh, on the Christian market and, you know, just the movie market in general. Um, but in that movie, that movie, uh, deals, you know, heavily with grief. And, uh, I, again, I am proud of that film. Uh, it's funny though, because when we were talking to, you know, some of the sales agents and the distributors and stuff over there uh, spoiler alert. Um, I don't, I don't think this is too bad saying this, but nobody gets like saved in the movie. Okay. Like nobody goes from like, you know, Oh, I once, I once was lost. Now I found right. Um, and, and as a matter of fact, like there are characters in there who, you know, it, it's, it's painfully obvious. Like they're not believers. And, and it was funny because, uh, one of the distributors was like, I was shocked. Nobody got saved. And I was like, yeah. And he goes, yeah, I kind of liked that about it. And I was like, I was like, yeah, you know, unfortunately, like that's life. Um, That's the story that we're living in right now. And uh, you know that, and that's real. Um, And so I, I think that you're absolutely right. Like as Christians, we shouldn't be creating the, and you know, the hallmark, Kind of genre is fine But it's it's Definitely shouldn't be the only thing we're doing We should be speaking into everything
0: Yeah there, there's a balance and I, yeah I, I agree I think that there is A time for the hallmark Version if you will you mm-hmm. know I mean I, I actually kind of like their cheesy Christmas movies I, I think they kind of They Amen. help with the season right Um, And so you You know you, you can dig that but, but there's There's so much more to life than that and It's, it's such yeah. a small sliver of life. And yeah. I think that's what, what you've got here is great. So right now the Psalter is funding on lure. And right. so I want to make sure that to, to invite uh, those watching those viewing uh, to send some of their loot over the Psalter's way. So we can We've get got to
1: fight the bears.
0: I know barely biblical is a are monster right now,
1: right now. there. <laughs> <laughs> no, I love barely biblical. Um, I love all the projects on there, uh, but yeah, we, we're, we got to take down the bears, dude. Um, there you go. There you yeah, go. The, do you want to fund the Bible or do you want to fund bears? <laughs> well, I guess the bears are
0: the Bible. Uh, biblical.
1: I've, <laughs> de- I've, I've destroyed my whole argument here. That's it. You're done. That's it. Yep. No, uh, well, see, but there
0: is some crossover though, because barely biblical. And in the initial trailer, it's showing you David and Goliath, right? Yep. Well, David wrote the Psalms, Psalms, the Psalter. So by Supporting the Psalter, you're also supporting Barely Biblical because they're coming from the same source text. Come on, friends. Yeah, this is maybe not hard I need math.
1: to get uh, it's Mr. Tim Engel, right?
0: Yeah, Tim Ingle, Yeah.
1: Yeah, maybe I need to get him to do a, a Psalter Barely Biblical crossover, and
0: we'll get that some, would like, actually live be cool. actors with the bears. You, you know and- what? I don't. I, sh- I probably shouldn't say this out loud because it'll give somebody with money an idea. Yeah. But you know how we have like the Marvel Cinematic Universe and the and the DC Comic Cinematic Universe. There hasn't been really a a production studio universe like that, you know? Mm -hmm. I mean, a little bit with ABC, TGIF because of spinoffs and stuff. And I guess, you know, Happy Days, Laverne, Shirley, Mork, and Mindy. So there's the spinoff universe that existed in sitcoms. But that's pretty much dead now because sitcoms are gone. But, I mean, can you imagine a a production platform, just like you're saying, where Barely a Biblical, where Tim Engel takes his bears and does a Salter episode? Oh, my goodness. And, 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 I I mean...
1: I don't. I'm telling you. I I mean, he can give me some of that magic that he's got going there with barely (laughs) biblical. Like, uh, no, like honestly, man, like I I can't wait to see it. So, I again, I'm I'm so excited about all the projects on there. You know, it and it's stuff that you would never never see on the Christian other Christian platforms right now. That Christians want to see. I want to see a Christian Western. You know, Black Rose Valley. Like,
0: yeah, yeah, yeah. Dude. Mm-hmm. We had Joel Lure's on awesome. uh, one of the first episodes was, uh, was Joel Burris and and we went all through that. And the thing is, that's the other thing about, about lore and the creators that are, that are a part of it is we're, we're not like, you're excited to see the other projects too. And, and yeah. you're okay with that. And that's something, and you don't have that in a lot of other platforms or studios where there is competition for the big release weekend for the, all the production dollars, that kind of thing we're just putting this out and say, Hey, you know, we, we, we have this idea for a story. We, we hope we think it's something you'll like. Will you yeah. support it? And, and we're excited when other projects get get their support and get out there because that's also going to that tide will lift all the boats because they'll see barely biblical and they'll say, Hey, well, what else is going on? Well, the Psalter's there. And so yeah. I definitely check that out. I do want to uh, with uh, some of the time we have left, I want to do a couple of things here. We're going to switch gears a little bit. Sure. You had some recent success. in the the film festival world. Mm -hmm. And so I want to bring, I want to show the trailer of Hidden in the Wind. And you can talk a little bit about that story, a little bit about the production and some of the awards you won and, and what that was like to be a part of the festival world with Hidden in the Wind. Let's check out the trailer. All right.
2: When I was young and the storms would rage outside my home, Every time I felt the thunder,
0: my heart would stop.
2: The darkness would set outside,
0: and the first raindrops would fall. I felt the storm would consume me. But as the wind raged on, my
2: mother would take my hand, and with a still, small voice would say,
0: Don't run with the wind outside. Stay here with me. Be here with me,
2: and with that voice, the wind never felt too strong.
0: All right, Cody, tell us about "Hidden in the Wind." Where'd you get the idea? Well, what what is it about, and where did you get the idea?
1: Yeah, so uh, "Hidden in the Wind," <clears throat> excuse me, is essentially about uh, you know this married couple who. The wife is completely convinced that if they get, uh, you know, if there's a tornado in the vicinity, that there's going to be an, that there's an entity within the tornado that hunts her and her family. So um, that's why like their whole life, they, her whole life, she's tried to, you know, be in areas where, uh, you know, that kind of weather doesn't exist there, but because her husband, you know, he had this job. Uh, In this area where it's a possibility like this, this deep fear and anxiety comes to her again. So it's about the couple's struggle with that. And uh, the idea was actually inspired by um, I, uh, I actually my home got hit by a tornado uh, several years back. And, uh, you know, Texas, North Texas, um, you know, South Tornado Alley over here. And uh, it it wasn't even a bad tornado. It was just an F1. But, uh, I remember it was in the middle of the night and I had this, I was having this nightmare about this demon who was trying to get through my window. And it was making this awful sound that tornadoes make actually. And I I woke up and the tornado had just passed. Uh, it, it had just gone over our house. Um, So that's sort of where, like, the idea spawned from is, like, what happens if you have a person that or, you know, this situation where there's something in within these storms that, you know, could be hunting people or so is it, you know, it's inspired by that. And, uh, yeah, it, uh, it 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 played it this this year's Comic Con back in July in the horror suspense category and I couldn't believe it. It won. I yeah. couldn't believe it, dude. Um, like even getting in comic con was such a huge uh, bucket list. You know, so I want to ask laws. you about
0: that. I mean, you know, filmmakers yeah. obviously watch, watch this podcast and they're part of lore. filmmakers are on creating and filmmaking. How yeah. did you get the Comic con? How did you break into that, that echelon of the festival yeah. world?
1: Well um so Comic Con is is uh is cool because you ac- it's actually Comic-Con's a free submission into the film festival. So if you have something that's action, horror, um I think they even have a comedy category if you have something that's related to any of those uh like this free like submit for it. <laughs> and uh, they do. They get thousands of submissions though. So even getting in I was like Oh, my goodness. I like <laughs> can't believe because, you know, I, I produce with my family and, uh, you know, it's just been such a huge bucket list thing of ours for the longest time uh, to get in there. And it finally got in. And then, you know, we we went out there for Comic-Con and, uh, you know, it's like I think the horror f- section Maybe maybe I shouldn't quote that. I believe it's the, supposed to be the most popular section of Comic-Con, too. Hmm. So there was like 14 different films, you know, playing there. And we're sitting there watching these films like, you know, a lot of them were just so good and they had these huge budgets to them and stuff. And uh, we, we didn't I mean, again, we, we didn't really have a huge budget for this thing. I don't know if I should be saying that, but <laughs> I'll, t- I'll tell the lore fam, uh, you know, because we're all in this together. Right. Like uh, <laughs> like uh, apparently you can win Comic-Con, you know, with with without having a huge budget and on then project.
0: Let us know, too. How how the, how do how does Comic-Con select its winners? The panel of judges? Is it, you know, fan yeah. favorite? What who, a, a who was it that judges. bestowed the honor on you?
1: Yeah. It's a panel of judges. Um, I think they have a rating system for it, but, uh, you know, I, I just personally, and I'm not trying to like, um, I think if, if I have something for filmmakers, you know, who want to mm-hmm. achieve this type of thing, like the, what I do is I just try to focus everything I can on the story. Um, even if things, just technically aren't there. You know, if they're like, you don't have to have this gigantic budget to tell a good story. Um, of course it's always good to have money, but, uh, (laughs) but you don't, you don't have to like, don't ever let that be a red tape to you. Um, in producing stuff, like use the resources around you and come up with a really good story with it. And I think hidden in the wind, I, I don't think it was cause it was like technically more significant than anything else because some of these movies looked really good, in Comic Con, and uh, I, I just think that you know, and it's we didn't get feedback on it or anything uh, like sometimes you do in festivals, but uh, I, from my perspective, it I all I can think is like it must be the story, it has to be the story that just really resonated with the judges. So, I mean, the act, it's everything, you know, it's a, you know, everybody did a great job cinematographer, you know, the acting and everything is great. Uh, Lainey Randall, she's the, she's the star in And of course I I'm in it too, right? Because it, it plays well for my demo reel, so, uh, yeah. <laughs> but, uh, Lainey Randall, she's great. Um, you know, hire her. She's an amazing actress. Uh, you lore filmmakers. But uh, but yeah, I just think that everybody came in and wanted to tell a really good story. And I think story is always going to be king in filmmaking, which is why you can get these movies where they throw millions of dollars at this movie and it doesn't have a good story. And it's not
0: I mean, what what do people always complain about? with a movie. I mean, sometimes it's the acting, okay, but usually it's the story, right? Yeah. The ending sucked. The the twists were unbelievable. I didn't care about the characters. That that's all story. Yeah. It's all story. And again, some of it can be some of the technical aspects of it. But as as I look at it, whenever I think about movies that I was disappointed by or I had higher hopes for, it's the story that let me down. Yeah. And you know, I can't tell you thrillers that I hate are the um, oh gosh, the multiple personality ones, where where it's going, awesome, and who's the bad guy, and it's them. <laughs> really? The, the first it was the same, it was the same times it was cool, right? Oh you know, gosh, maybe once when Alfred Hitchcock did did that with Psycho, then yeah. okay, I'll 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 buy that. But after that, no. And it's the same, I'm sorry, I've got to say this: it's not a lure thing, it's not a Halford Entertainment thing, but I think I'm not alone. I think that was that was at least my issue with Indiana Jones four. I would put up with Shia LaBeouf being able to swing on jungle vines and keep up with the jeep. That was fine. Actually, that was choreographed pretty well. But aliens, no. Anyway, yeah, I've said my piece. Don't
1: even get me started on Indiana Jones, man. Uh, yeah, I, I'm a huge fan of the of the original three movies and the fourth and the fifth one. I was just like.
0: Why? I haven't seen Come the out. fifth yet. My, my son wants me to watch it because he's afraid it's going to suck. And so yeah. he wants me to watch it and waste <laughs> two hours of my life and tell him if he should. And so I'm like, okay, I see how it is. Yeah,
1: yeah. Oh. Yeah, don't even, we won't go down that road because <laughs> we be get right. do for a while.
0: All right, I got two more questions about sure. Hidden in the Wind or about your Comic-Con experience and then we're, then we're going to move on. Yeah. First question, this is not an ego question, honest question. When you're At Comic-Con, you're watching these short films, you're seeing your competition. How did you honestly feel about your chances of winning? Or were you even thinking about that? Like, you know, so so for example, I've uh, when I was touring with my band, we'd play on festivals and things like that. And if we were, sometimes we were the headliner, sometimes we were right above the headliner, sometimes we were at the beginning of the day. And you can kind of gauge the audience and how well, and are they getting bored and this, that, or the other, but you also know objectively, okay, that band is awesome. We're better than that band. I, okay. We're going to close out the night. I feel good about this one. This can make it not in the ego sense, but just like, okay, I know what I'm bringing to the table and this is going to work. Were you uh, sitting there saying "Dude, yeah. hidden in the wind has got this. That award is going to be hidden in my pocket at the, when the night is through, or are we like, Dude, we're head and shoulders with some with some really good films. And again, objectively, don't no false Christian modesty here. This is lore. This is real. Go.
1: Okay, so I'm almost. A little, I'm. I'm. Oh gosh, uh, my fellow creators are probably going to be embarrassed that I share this, but um, there and there's context to it. Okay, there's context, but we did not go to the award show.
0: You didn't go to the award show. Here I am with my product placement.
1: <laughs> well, you can spew that out. So <laughs> we we were convinced that we had, we had uh, you know, we had done, like, we were convinced that we had done the most we were going to do uh-huh. at, at Comic-Con. And, um, you know, <laughs> oh, gosh, I feel like there's going to be, like, listeners that are like, oh, you idiots. But, you um, <laughs> But no, we didn't because so there's just and you know, there's a lot of nuance and context to it, but essentially like we were having to stay in Los Angeles um, because Comic-Con is a huge deal for Mm -hmm. those of you who don't know, like it's just a huge, and obviously there's so much more to it than just like a film festival there. Um, It's just a really big deal. And so all the hotels in San Diego are are booked up and stuff. Right. And um, so it just so happened that our plans led us to where we were going to have to stay in los angeles so we're having to drive down like two hours to san diego and we were already tired from a couple other things and we're sitting there watching these other movies and we were listening to the panels and people have like all these big budgets and you know there was some really solid shorts in there and so the question came about of like okay well you know what are the chances what are the chances we're actually going to win this thing? Like, you know, are we going to drive, drive back two hours to, you know, sit at the award show and, and, and watch somebody else win. And, uh, oh gosh, I can't believe I actually am sharing that story. Um, I feel so, I feel so embarrassed as a creative, like doing that, but, it, but that gives you a real solid answer of, okay. uh, of like how confident we were. And, um, so, but there was, but a-
0: I, I'll say this in your defense though, mm-hmm. that, I bet most of us would feel that way. And and probably some of them at the award show, if they were in your position, you look at, you look at the other filmmakers there, you know what it takes to do it. And it's not, not even in a comparison way, but just acknowledging. Yeah. Dude, those are, those things are on fire, man. Yeah. Yeah, exactly.
1: So, and it's, it's hard to be, it's just really hard to be objective about your own work. So it just is. Um, you just do the best you can and you know you you still love it, but it's sometimes it's just really hard to be objective about your own work. and um, so yeah, I mean we I watched Mission Impossible again, you know the next day <laughs> and I get this message from somebody else who I'd met there like, hey, you guys like I think you guys just won And I was like, what? like are you, are you sure it was our movie? It's hidden in the <laughs> wind, right? And she's like, yeah. And I, I still was like, mm, maybe she's getting us mixed up with somebody else. So I, I messaged like the, you know, the point of contact there. And the person was like, yeah, you guys won. Like, where can we send the award to, you know? And uh, <laughs> and wow. I was like, dude, like, you know, we're there with our team. And uh, I think at the time we were in the car and. We were like, "Oh my gosh! Like, I can't believe we just... Yeah, you know, Comic Con is a big deal to to us. So, sure. um, it it was, you know, it was definitely one of those like, just like, did, thank you, Lord.
0: <laughs> like, did you get to? Did you get to do anything cool at Comic Con? Like, did you get to see any panels? Did you get to beat anybody cool? This is this is pure fanboy talk. All right, so we're gonna well, take okay, off. Man. This is this, I mean, this is this is the non professional yeah. part of the show, because you know, like, so I did a. I did one of my, my third album I did in North Hollywood and I was honestly, I won't even lie. I was celebrity spotting the entire time I was there and just trying to get, you know, just say hi. And I met a few of them. I did. And they were all nice and all that kind of thing. But, um, I'm always curious when, when people go to comic cons and stuff, if they got to have any fun little mini adventures. So, man, um,
1: I mean, again, I feel like I'm probably like pissing off some of the audience here, but I I, I'm a movie guy. Right. So like I'm so when I think of Comic-Con and there's so much other stuff to it, it's a comic book convention, you know, essentially. But I'm into the movie panels and, you know, I'm a I'm a big fan of all the Comic-Con movie panels, you know, watch those for years. Right. But, in, you know, we finally get into Comic-Con and the strike happens, like all these oh. strikes are happening. So nobody was there for any of those movie panels. Yeah, yet. yeah, I know. I know. And I know I shouldn't like complain or anything, but it was a bit of a bummer to not get, you know, some of those like Hall H panels and stuff. Um, yeah, because I'm, I'm a I'm a nerd in that way. Like, you know, I'm a huge like superhero comic book fan. And, you know, I love
0: Oh yeah, yeah
1: well, and stuff, and yeah.
0: You're probably the same. I mean, I've lost probably years deep diving on YouTube, watching all the Comic Con panels I can about shows right? and movies I like. Yeah. I mean, with especially with Cobra Kai, I'm addicted to those panels and yeah. show, by the way. But every one of them, I want to see all of them, and and it's yeah. weird. They'll say the same thing year after year at every Comic Con because they have answers. But I'm I'm here for it. I would have
1: loved to have gone to a Cobra Kai panel like that. Right. That would have broken me, but yeah, it was just, yeah. So unfortunately the strikes were going on, um, you know, the year that we got in and, uh, so yeah, it's, it was a bummer, but I still had a great time and I still had like, just, so if you know anything about comic-con, like just walking around and people watching is so fun and just seeing it. Now some of it's like not fun because some people come in some really like weird costumes But uh, like I saw some things that maybe I wish I hadn't there too. But but there's there's also just some really cool costumes, some really cool dress up there. And there's still like, uh, you know, in the merchandise section is just like it's so unique and there's so much happening there still. um, That's cool to go to. Uh, I still went to a lot of the like merchandise, like, you know, movie intellectual property stuff. Yeah. Um, you know, like, you got to get Star Wars in, like, and go look at all that stuff. It's super cool. I'm, I'm a nerd about those those things, so. I,
0: I, yeah. I'm with you. I love memorabilia of all kinds and going through and seeing the props and want, I want to know how they work. And I'm yeah. the kind of guy, like, I like to go on theme park rides, but I want to go with the lights on and walk around the sets and see how it yes. is. And yeah. that does not ruin the magic for me. It actually, for me, it makes it better. Yes. The next time around. I got like, one time. I got stuck on Pirates of the Caribbean in Disney maybe it was Disney yeah Disney World I guess here in Florida where I am. and uh, it was at Did the camp
1: and start walking around in the water like they have a video of a person do that recently. And they like well, got kicked out of Disney forever for doing it or something.
0: I'm so a, I keep going. <laughs> I, I'm a, I'm a germaphobe. So I'm not getting in that water for all the money in the world, but. Good for you. Yeah. I'm neither am I. So <laughs> nope. we're, we're the smart ones. <laughs> exactly. We'll be alive anyway. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, they, what they did was they, they, they put you, they, they put a bridge across the water so you can walk off to the nearest exit, which is through whatever set you're stuck by. So you walk the plank. And yeah, so I walked a plank off the parts of the Caribbean into the treasure room where Jack Sparrow's animatronic was sitting. But as I'm going by, like I touch stuff because I'm not, and I'm not a toucher because again, I'm a German but I want to know what it is. Yes. And you know, it's, it's all the shiny rubber stuff that the movie prop, but it was yeah. so cool. And, and then to, and to see the, the back of the, animatronic and then and then and then I had to keep I couldn't stop and gaze but so yeah. like I like that stuff and the same as you I'm a I, yeah. I mean I geek out on that dork number one and I I've embraced it at this point in life no, no matter man. how
1: you feel about Disney you know it as a company like mm-hmm. Disney Imagineering should always deserve an extent of our respect historically because there's just so creative they're just so Mm -hmm. creative with things and um and it's just inspiring being in those types of environment like like you know man it would be a dream of mine to be able to create a theme park or something someday I'm I'm sure a lot of there's probably a lot of people that feel that way but like it's just and I I feel like there is something like just so innately uh like biblical about that I guess because Mm -hmm. Like it's, you're being, you're representing the creator and creating these things. You know? Well, it is biblical. Also,
0: it, it's, it's based on storytelling. Yeah. And Jesus, when we when you see him teaching, he's teaching in parables. He's teaching in mm-hmm. stories. The yeah. universal language of humanity is stories. Amen. And we, we can all identify the good guy and the bad guy. I believe that's because of the Imago Dei. We're created in God's image. So we Amen. recognize a morality that's closer to right than not. Mm-hmm. And we sympathize with that. That's how we know Superman's a good guy and Lex Luthor's a bad guy. Yep. All around the world, everybody will will understand that and recognize it or in any story. And so what you're talking about is, is taking this love of stories and sharing it in different ways. And there's filmmaking, Hallford Entertainment and, and things like we're talking about today. But then there's the other things that like, man, but I really want to immerse myself in these worlds. Yeah. And I absolutely yeah. get that. And I do. One of my hero daydreams is a theme park, and I'm not going to tell you what it is on this broadcast. I'll tell you off air. Okay. I don't want somebody you to it. You have steal to remember, it.
1: though, okay? Because I want to hear it. I'm all about that kind of stuff. It
0: is an awesome idea. Okay. And I'm keeping it to myself. I'll share okay. it with you, but not on air. Unless you have deep pockets and you're willing to make sure that I maintain creative control, I'll we'll share <laughs> it with you if you're watching. All right? No, I, want, that, I,
1: I would want one of my movies to be in your theme park. Okay? Oh, yeah. Like yeah. I want to create something good enough to to make a theme park ride out of it. And I know Disney's not going to take my stuff probably so Dude,
0: hidden in the wind is already there and again but again i can't see i don't want to i gotta be careful because this is where we get into intellectual property okay and i, okay. I gotta protect i gotta protect <laughs> not that yeah. i'll ever get there <laughs> anyway all right uh, okay let's get back on the track here okay sure. sure. um uh well real quickly i do want people to know about the sage which is an mm-hmm. upcoming lure project so i'm going to show about 90 seconds of this preview and then you can tell us briefly what that's about because yeah. we're going to do something I think a little unique, at least for the Lore Entertainment Podcast, is we're going to show Cody's short film Heartbeat in just a couple of minutes here. And he's going to walk us through like audio commentary style, what was going on in the making and the storytelling and all that kind of thing. And so I want to be able to make sure we have enough time to do that before we have to wrap. But I want to make sure that we mentioned uh, Sage. So let's take a look at A little bit of this preview I'm going to stop it probably mid-sentence So just uh, forgive me for the awkward stop And then we'll we'll go on from here Let's check it out
1: Hi, I'm Cody Halford The filmmaker for the new romance drama feature Sage Sage is a character-driven spiritual odyssey that tests the ideologies of a young couple indoctrinated with a New Age belief system. With Hollywood's continued resentment toward films with an authentically biblical worldview, and the current Christian film market's demand for cookie-cutter narratives, lore is the best platform for a movie like Sage. Lore is giving us the creative freedom to tell the story of these characters, how it ought to be told. The New Age ideology Helps serve the background of our two main characters. Upon completing the screenplay and pitching it to a few unnamed Christian companies, these companies deemed the realistic portrayal of the New Age ideology too controversial for the current Christian market. Not so with the founders of Lore. They recognize Sage as a forerunner of films that will confront
0: the raw, honest truth of the human experience. All right, that's kind of right there. So Sage, you're taking on New Age and exposing New Age philosophy, New Age ideology, uh, certainly in contrast with, you know, the Christian perspective that you come from. Man, why take on such a, a behemoth of a topic?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, it's just so, it's sort of like New Age is seats deeply into our culture you know our culture right now and i mean really new age if you know anything about it um i mean it's really just like modern paganism basically you know it's a salad bar of different things
0: and Uh, it it has seeped into most of our culture and and including the church we we actually say things and approach things i mean karma is another example of that yeah We, we all say that as if you know good karma bad karma that kind of thing but that's New Age—that's Eastern yeah. philosophy, so on and so forth. It's become a such a part of our culture we don't even question it, and we don't even realize it when we are invoking it. And that's yeah. true for Christians or not,
1: for sure. And I think that uh, you know one of the one of the key po- points of sage is really just asking the question, "What is truth?" Yeah. Um, and it and it's not so much you know in a in a debate form but more more of just a storytelling form and seeing how that plays out in different characters lives like what it because new age is like you know it's basically a, of an admittance of like there's no real truth you know there's no there it, it's just it's a variety of different things your truth is your truth right and uh, obviously that's completely you know that's that's the complete opposite of of Christianity, Jesus is truth and Jesus is the truth and the only truth. And um, so I, I think Sage, it's it's a really fascinating story because it takes this couple who are deeply rooted in this stuff. And it takes this this male character who basically this woman who he's in this relationship with is is his entire world and she's everything to him. You know, and essentially, Sage begs the question of like, okay, what happens when the Holy Spirit basically starts convicting this dude in his life with the truth of the gospel? Hmm. What happens to that relationship? Like, how does that play out? And the thing is, is I think realistically, you know, it's just not pretty. like, it's just, and, and there's just like, there's a lot to it. And, uh, you know, and Sage dives into all of that drama.
0: And that's very rich. I was just having a conversation earlier today, actually, about how we, you know, when, when people are confronted with Christ, yes. we're all coming where Jesus says that we are Gentiles that we're ingrafted into his vine. So we're, we're from another tree. He we he takes us from there and engrafts us into him, the vine. Well, if you take a you take a branch from a maple tree and engraft it onto a oak tree, I'm just spitballing. Yeah. It's it's gonna take, let's say, and, and and it could take, it's gonna take some time for that maple branch, for those previous nutrients to get cycled out and to yeah. be fully replaced. By the oak nutrients, okay? So when people are confronted by Christ, I think one thing that we don't really realize, and that's what's called sanctification, is it takes time Mm -hmm. for the nutrients of Christ and the truth of Christ to transform an individual spiritually. And so, and you're talking about, you're talking about not just converting somebody to a set of doctrinal positions or, or mental essentia, but changing their whole life, their whole worldview everything they thought was true. Isn't, Mm -hmm. you know, and it changes how they see everybody. It changes their relationships. This is not a small thing, this Mm -hmm. task of evangelism. And from what I'm hearing, this story is a way to, to demonstrate that kind of hurdle in the spiritual transformation process.
1: Yeah, exactly. And I mean, just, you know, and again, just in maybe maybe some of you even know stories or have or this is your story, maybe even, um, you know, just imagining like having somebody who is just literally your world too, like it. It dives into how it affects relationships as well. And I mean, at the end of the day, you know hopefully not giving too much away, but it, it, what, what are you required to give up, Mm -hmm. um, you know, to, to follow Christ and uh, in, you know, are you willing to lose everything essentially? And, and I think that we do get some, some decent movies um, that do ask that question, but it's often, you know, or, or just even stories, but they're often more related to, You know, these these people who are in maybe, uh, you know, situations where I I mean, I'm thinking of like, you know, maybe the Middle East, for instance, where like Mm -hmm. maybe you're in a a, an Islamic, you know, uh, culture where you have to give up everything in that sense. Hey, Actually, we could probably use more of those stories, too, in an authentic way. Uh, But, you know, I've just never I've never seen anything quite like this and that's why the story fascinates me as a christian and as a creative because it's not only a good story but it's also i feel super helpful to see that play out in people's lives and it and it's it's informative in a way that's not like uh you know again it's not like in a debate form or anything you're watching a story play out so yeah. um so, yeah, it, it's pretty cool. I um, This this was, for those of you who don't know, this was actually the first project that I brought to Lore before the Psalter um, and, uh, you know, brought, brought it to them, uh, you know, near the beginnings of, of their, uh, their creation and everything. And uh, I remember Marcus and John specifically liked the fact that it had been rejected uh, by... <laughs> by you know some of these other christian uh streaming places and it's not because like they didn't particularly like the story but again it's just like the the authentic portrayal of even the philosophy of the new age and everything and the way that the story plays out they didn't feel like it would play well for their audience and you know what maybe it doesn't
0: they, like, yeah, it, they might be, they not, might be right about that.
1: Yeah. So, but right. that's why it's so important to have an audience like lore with people who, who want this sort of authentic storytelling. And, and I want to let everybody know, it's not that you shouldn't have morals in the way that you make movies or anything, it, right. you know uh, you, you don't just want to be like, like there, there are morality lines, I believe within filmmaking, of course. But, um, but again, it's aiming for that authenticity there.
0: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, and different again with Lure. You you don't have the same suits looking down. I think probably John and Marcus look at your rejection as a badge of honor, as like, hey, and <laughs> you're, you're you're yes. you're over the target for what Lure wants. If you were yeah. rejected by by those who shall not be named, mm-hmm. so and but again, they're they have probably good reasons for that, uh, both in terms of their own. Uh, business philosophy and uh, an audience engagement and their own just business model so you don't necessarily uh you know disparage disparage them for that decision it's just that's that's the way it is and it 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 worked at lore and uh, that's another one we're excited to see upcoming yeah all right let's get to the grand finale of the show this will be interesting i haven't done this before we've done some Uh, Pastor React, where we take in movies that either portray God or talk about God or portray Christians, and we talk about the theological and historical accuracy and the entertainment value. Well, this, we're going to do a little bit of a behind-the-scenes audio commentary in real time. So I've asked Cody if it's okay. We're going to play his short film, The Heartbeat, and we're going to watch this through. And as we do, Cody, anytime you want to stop, just say, hey, stop it right here. Tell us, give us some insight on the scene. What was shooting like that day? Nerd stuff. This is, you know, put on the nerd hat. I've never done DVD you,
1: commentary you, before on one of my c- films. I'm super stoked for this, man. <laughs> like, I can't you believe right? you're asking me to do this. Like, this is awesome,
0: right? This, is, yeah, for for a nerd, this is a high honor. Yeah. And so, <laughs> so um, this will be this will be fun. Uh, first, yeah. uh, I don't want to cut you off, but go ahead. You can finish your thought. But I also let us know what. Heartbeat is about and why you made it. And then we'll start it.
1: Exactly. So, yeah, that's what I was. Thank you for that. That's it. exactly. I was going to give some context. Um, so essentially Heartbeat is a film that we did for a nonprofit. And uh, I mean, a lot of the times for nonprofits and stuff, when you're telling their story, you get a lot of talking head videos, um, you know, a lot of just documentary style stuff. And, not saying that there's anything wrong with that, but, uh, in our pitch to this nonprofit, uh, Lifesavers Foundation located here in Dallas, Texas, um, in our pitch for it, we, we wanted to pitch our strength as a company, which is narrative storytelling, we believe. And, um, so our pitch was to create a narrative story for this nonprofit, um, that actually played at, uh, their their luncheon which tim tebow spoke at and uh so we we really wanted to come up with a story that helped represent an aspect of their work which is um you know they they believe in the sanctity of all life and they believe you know that they believe in saving babies (laughs) like basically and uh so we wanted to we wanted to create a story that Representing that in a really moving way, um, which, you know, hopefully you'll see and agree that it's a, it, that it's executed well.
0: All right. Well, let's check it out. And again, Cody, anytime you want to stop, just start talking. I'll pause it. And uh, when you're done, we'll hit play again. Here we go. This is Heartbeat.
2: What's it mean to feel safe? To have a hand that holds you, that gives you the courage to face the world. Otherwise, we might be out in the darkness with no light in sight. No, he just... Okay.
1: He just... So, um, first and foremost, hopefully you can tell the sort of, again, Terrence Malick-type inspiration... Uh, that's that's being put in here. Right. <laughs> it's almost like something you might see on the Psalter. Um, <laughs> so uh, in and again, the lovely uh, Laney Randall is is starring on here. And uh, it, so we did hit it in the wind before this movie. And you, you you might be thinking, oh, well, he's just hiring her because you know, maybe she's his friend or whatever. Right. But, uh, she actually she went through the entire audition process mm-hmm. and, uh, the, the nonprofit just genuinely thought, you know, she was the best and, you know, very talented. Um, she's just really a truly terrific actress. And if you've seen in hidden in the wind, you know, that, and, you know, watching this movie, you'll know that too. So, um, yeah, also too, I thought I'd point out that we shot this on the red Komodo and, uh, just wanted to go for like a really, like, again, Terrence Malick, like natural feel, use all natural lighting on stuff. Um, and basically we just booked to this Airbnb out here by the lake and, uh, we shot several different scenes here with our actors. So
0: yeah. How, how, how long was the shoot in total?
1: For this. the shoot itself was two days. So, okay. uh, so we did our, um, we did our on the location at the nonprofit site that'll be coming up here for a day. And we also did the rest of the, the scenes in a day. So it's the story I like to think of it as like kind of split as a narrative and a documentary, um, as far as its style goes. So we have like our Terrence Malick, like narrative spots here, But then we also kind of dive into like a more documentary style uh, piece that you'll be seeing here in uh, just a few moments. Gotcha.
0: All right, let's continue.
2: This thing's left. He completely freaked out when he found out. I am just already so far behind.
1: And I don't have anyone here.
2: Want to, but I just cannot take on
0: another person. It would be it would be impossible.
2: How did we find that light?
1: I'd like to say something else here too. Um, With this story, we wanted to uh, represent um, the woman in this situation that just really feels like, you know, killing her child is her only option. Um, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, and that, again, that's the sort of like, no matter how we feel about that in, you know, how matter no matter how wrong that is, uh, that's real, right? Like that's, that's a a real situation that we're dealing with. So, um, I think, you know, it was really important to us with the story that our character had that angle and felt that way. Um, not because like we, we agree with what's happening of course, but more so because we just wanted to bring, like this authentic experience of what happens when you have a person that, sh- for whatever reason, they just literally feel like that's the only thing they can do, right? Mm-hmm. And you know, the, obviously, that's where the messaging of the of the nonprofit comes in to where it's like, no, there are other options. Yeah, <laughs> you're not alone. Okay, all
2: right. Do we release the anchors that hold us down in that pit of fear? That certainty of impossibility. Where is that light in the hand that helps those souls? That's the lunchbox for baby. Hmm. Yeah. And then right off to the side of it, hanging out right there, that is the baby. And do you see inside of it something that's flickering? Do you see it? Yeah. Yeah. That is a baby's heartbeat. Let me see if I can get the sound on it.
0: I'm sorry. This is at the nonprofit, right?
1: Yeah. Sorry. The, yeah. This is, uh, so this is their mobile unit, okay. um, the doctor spot mobile unit and is what they do is they give free medical care, um, to, to children and they're moving. So we like, we created this video because they're moving into giving free medical care to women. And, uh, you know, um, their main thing is that like, obviously they want you to keep your baby, and, um, but then they want to be able to take care of the woman and her children for, you know, as long as they need it too. Uh, so that's their big thing. Uh, yeah, sorry. I probably should have talked about that before. Um, <laughs> no, that's okay. Yeah, yeah, no, no. And you'll also see that, uh, uh, they have an upscale resale store too, that, uh, by their donations, they're able to, uh, give and provide for these medical centers that mm-hmm. help do this work. Um, So yeah.
2: Something with someone, so that a mother and her children won't go home hungry. Jesus, just thank
1: you, God. Um. Okay. So I'll say something else. I, I, it's so hard with this one because it's like I, I forget how emotional. Like it pulls me in emotionally. Still, so uh, like sure. Lainey's performance is so moving in this movie. Um but uh so a couple of things technically about what's happening is that obviously we're actually in this mobile unit and it's a really small small crew and you know we're dealing with a lot of tight spaces and stuff and hopefully you can sort of sort of tell like the switch of like just kind of like some of the zoom ins and stuff like it it's Mm -hmm. just moving into kind of a more documentary style and it's because we literally just uh like we didn't shot list this sex this section we literally just like take us take laney through the process and what you guys do and what all that looks like and we're and we'll just start shooting it and uh so we're in there and you know we're doing this this sonogram scene and uh you know i mean it it just it felt like you were actually watching this happen and so me and some of the other crew were like they're like actually like getting tearful watching this whole thing because the, the, um, the nurse practitioner practitioners, she, she's not an actress. That's the actual, you know, nurse yeah. there, at the doctor spot. And she's like actually comforting Laney and everything. And it was just a, a really like wild experience, but, um, something- how,
0: script- how scripted was this scene? Uh, or, or was it where, where when you asked the nonprofits to, to take, to take Lanny through it, did they just do what they normally do in Lanny? They just responded? did what they normally
1: did. Yeah, we couldn't. I mean, we couldn't really uh, script this scene at the time because, we, well, and we, we didn't necessarily want to because we wanted it to feel as as authentic as possible with this experience happening. And um, obviously, the the sonogram picture wasn't actually there, but that is so. I I had I had some you know people part of the crews like. What does the baby look to developed you know does it look that's an eight week old uh child um that that's actually what it looks like at eight weeks and also too like the the mom doesn't necessarily always show as much then either so that was like that all went into it right of like trying to figure out okay what is this actually going to look like and we had even some you know other sonogram people say like hey like this is actually like this really actually does work, and you know this is what this whole thing would would look like too. So it's things that you don't necessarily always think about going into it, but um, just a lot of technical stuff that you well, have that, to that, do with in something that, like
0: that does show up. Because I mean, again, you remember like sitcoms when they would have an infant or anything; they mm-hmm. don't actually. It's usually not an infant. They're you know a few months old and they look young or they'll be little. But yeah. it's kind of the same thing where that the attention to detail of here's an eight week old baby in the womb. You, this would be the appropriate, you wouldn't necessarily be showing. You might not even know. Right. And so that all checks out for the, for the authenticity of the story. So, yeah. Yeah,
1: exactly. Yeah. So um, another thing uh, just, you know, story-wise too is that um, this is a nonprofit that does share the gospel with people um, that come in. And so obviously that's a really important aspect there too.
2: But uh But yeah. So that those who need the help will find it. So that not one, but two lives might be saved.
1: thoughts on that um i I would say that overall this story uh like so you know we got exposed on lore right Mm -hmm. and laura classen and and just those great shorts um i would say exposed does the necessary job of showing the horrific reality of abortion and Mm -hmm. everything that's going on there and and like you don't ever see anything like exposed you know yeah but it's just so necessary. And, uh, but whereas with this, we're, our goal was to show the beauty of family legacy and like the outcome of life, you know, and, you know, doing the right thing. And, uh, like here you have this, you know, you have this life who's on this, this sonogram unit who, grows up to be this man with his own children and with his own life. And, you know, like, so I, I just think we really aim to tell a story that um, was going to be in the same sense that exposed us that was going to be super hard for anybody to look at it and say, well, but you you know, like, it's just like, how, what, how can you argue with the, the beautiful aspect of this? And, you know, of course there's always going to be people who still, they believe in the power of choice and all that, but that really was the goal. And uh, as you can see, like we aged Laney there. Um, that was yeah. fun. And uh, <laughs> like, what, uh, was,
0: what was that process like?
1: Well, so um, a lot of it is just in wardrobe and uh, because we're not, tr- we weren't trying to make her look too, too old. And, you know, a lot of it was just trying to find like just different, you know, creases and stuff to sort of, to sort of focus on a little bit. Um, because like, really, when you look at things like it, people don't necessarily look like that different, you know, when, uh, yeah. when a couple of decades passed by between there. So subtlety was, um, was the key there uh, because we didn't, <laughs> you know, <laughs> again, we don't have like, just like all this money to play with. So you you couldn't
0: afford Peter Jackson and Weta to come do some work for you.
1: (laughs) Yeah. um, Yeah. We had the same people that did the orcs and stuff. Right. Yeah. yeah. They did a great job. (laughs) Um, No, but, uh, but yeah. And as you could see, like the ending, um, you know, very, again, very Terrence Malick is inspired with the shots and, like uh, even with the reveal of it being um, that's not her daughter, like that's her son, and that's his mm-hmm. daughter. Like that was really important to us to show that this is a generational outcome in this story.
0: Um, yeah, we often because- we often think about, and it's it is yes, the life that is murdered when an abortion happens, but we don't think about the lives that don't have a chance to exist because we ended the life of the one through whom God may have, <clears throat> may have brought those other people. And yeah. you, that was actually, that's what struck me at the end of it was, was that generational piece. Yeah. That granddaughter's not there. If, yeah. if she had, a, if the character had a her son. So yeah. that message comes across loud and clear.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Um, yeah. So my goal with it was to make Tim Tebow cry. Um, <laughs> Tim Tebow unfortunately did not stay for the short film. But, uh, but a bunch of other people cried in the audience. So <laughs> that was, a, that was a super cool experience getting to do that.
0: Excellent. Excellent. Well, Cody, we have taken so much of your time and you have given so much of your time generously. Uh, we know we're going to have you back because obviously the funding is still going on for the Salter and we've got the sage coming down the pike as well. And and you're keeping busy with, with other projects as well. So we definitely want to have you back on. But yeah. for now, uh, thank you for being on this episode. Is there anything that I didn't ask, anything I didn't cover that you want to make sure that we talk about here before we wrap up?
1: Well, uh, first off, I am happy to come on and do this anytime, brother. So you're a joy to talk to. I'm happy to be a part of Lore and everything that these guys are doing. So uh, it's truly a privilege getting to do this and getting to chat. Um, And it goes by fast for me, at least. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) So, um, you know, we just have to try not to get sick when we schedule it. So
0: please. um, Yes.
1: Yeah. But uh, but yeah, as far as, uh, you know, anything else, um, we're working uh, on developing another feature right now called Tenebrism. And uh, we figured we would try to go off of, you know, whatever hype we have with the horror suspense, you know, Comic-Con win. And uh, I just so happened to be writing a horror suspense film while all (laughs) that was going on. And uh, Tenebrism is really another, again, cool for the lore audience because Mm -hmm. it's about artists. And it's about how important they are. And it's basically a story about artists fighting monsters. (laughs) So (laughs) hopefully that catches your intrigue. Um, but yeah, excited to be, uh, we're looking for investors on that right now and excited to be, uh, in that process. Um, other than that, just our socials, uh, if you want to follow me, uh, Cody Hallford, you know, I'm on Facebook, uh, you know, Instagram, YouTube youtube's hallford entertainment you can also look up hallford entertainment on the socials i gotta get on x uh formerly known (laughs) as twitter uh (laughs) gotta get on there still but uh but yeah Cody Halford or Halford Entertainment follow
0: Excellent. follow And we've got uh, HalfordEntertainment.com scrolling across the bottom of the screen so yeah. that's uh, always a good catch all if, if you if uh, you don't know where to go on social media but yeah, Cody's everywhere. Search for him on all the local haunts uh, usual haunts and you'll find him there so once again, <laughs> uh, Cody, thanks for your time uh, on the podcast today and I'm for Cody Halford, I'm Andrew Southwick this has been the Lore Entertainment Podcast thanks for sticking with us on this episode